FBI Radio. Kurt Iverson, our professor from geography at Sydney Uni, has just uh, rolled back into the studio for another conversation, another episode of Down to Earth, in which we get together and we have a chat about how our cities can become more fairer and more sustainable places for us to move around and live in. So, Kurt, welcome back. Thanks, Alex. Good to be here. Today, we are picking up off uh, a discussion that kind of just popped up at the end of our last of our last chat. We started talking about libraries, and that was due to the snap action that concerned residents were having over the potential closure of Waterloo Library. And you've done a bit of work on libraries, and yeah. you love them. So we thought we, we owe it to the old library to ha- have a full episode of Down to Earth. That's right. And it. look, it's hard. It's one of those things that, as you say, we got talking about it because one library is under threat. But um, And often on Down to Earth, you know, when we're talking about these issues of urban life, we're talking about things that are under threat. But uh, I think just actually like lifting up the library and talking about how bloody wonderful they are, um, they are one of those things in our cities that are just, you know, awesome and have mostly survived intact. And... Yeah, it's a funny thing, Kurt, because the world has moved in very much a digital direction and yet the majority of our libraries have managed to sort of stay, yeah, stay yeah. in place. And actually the story of how that happened, I reckon, is totally fascinating, right? Like, um, So these networks that we have of the kind of big city centre libraries, but in particular those kind of networks of, you know, just suburban local libraries are one of the really great legacies of town planning in the 20th century in Australia uh, and, and in lots of other places too. Um, but by the end of the 20th century, actually, everybody thought that libraries were for it, that they were going to disappear. And there were two main reasons for that. One, because by the end of the 20th century, you know, lots of public services were kind of, you know, under threat. Governments were privatising all sorts of things that they once thought it was their job to run. Have they ever Um, tried to privatise a library? Well, not really. Not really? No. There's a couple of places where there are um, some interesting little partnerships with, with private corporations in libraries that we could get into after the break, actually. But this is the thing, right? When you go out and do surveys with your constituents, libraries are one of those things that people really don't want privatised. Even people who don't use libraries will tell you in surveys that have been done by, you know, uh, governments in Australia and elsewhere that they don't want them touched. Uh, But the other big threat that there was to the library at the end of the 20th century, why everybody thought they would die, is it was kind of the same reason that... um, you know, video shops have died. Oh, and the Y2K arcade virus? Have died. No, not the Y2K. <laughs> we narrowly um, survived that oh, one. We did all just narrowly get through it. No, it's just the, the, the internet was just, mm. everybody assumed would kill the library the same way it killed the encyclopedia and everything else, right? If you can get everything online, then why would we need these places where you can go and find books on shelves, which just feels very mid-20th century? But actually, they've navigated those tricky waters and come out the other end like sort of stronger than ever and so it's not just about what's inside our libraries um but it's visiting libraries that's an important yeah, activity for people yeah. as well and look that's i think this is the big part of the story right that what the librarians and their advocates clever people that they are just sort of realized was that um the key to their survival is not just their importance as sources of knowledge, mm-hmm. but also as public spaces in cities, right? And, like, I say this as somebody, you know, I've always got my head in a book. I love them. I write them. Um, I make students read them, blah, blah, blah. But Yes, it's important are... to note that you do write books yourself, so you do have a right. vested interest I do in libraries. In libraries. <laughs> so we in can there. get to I'm them to read your in book. in the object, that's yeah. right. Um, and, you know, I'm a terrible hoarder of them as well. Yep. Um, but... 
Yeah, libraries are just so much more than the books that they have on their shelves, right? That they're spaces of community, they're spaces of what we might call conviviality. In what do you our mean by that? Kind of, well, look, what I mean by that is that, um, you know, libraries are a very particular kind of public space, right? Um, and when Ruth Fincher and I were doing some work on library as public spaces, we, the best word that we could come up with to sort of capture what's going on here is this, this sense of libraryness, right, that libraries have. Um, so you're saying that there wasn't really a word that encapsulates yeah, this? No, not. And, you know, this word conviviality in the writing about city sort of pops up and it was kind of close. And what that word speaks to and what libraries managed to pull off, I think, in that area is that, you know, they're not places that you're necessarily going to go to make friends. They're not places that you're necessarily going to even have, like, you know, deep, long conversations with people. But um, the thing about libraryness that we were trying to sort of think through um, is just something about the atmosphere of a place that, you know, it'll vary from, you know, one library to another. So, you know, the atmosphere in the Mitchell Library in the city is totally different to the atmosphere then in the local library here in Waterloo. Um, but it's just that thing about the diversity of users and the diversity of uses that a library can kind of accommodate, right? So, and so talk me through some of these uses. What what do you see people yeah, in, so in like your you work? Can walk, exactly. So you can walk into any suburban library and you'll see people like sitting on the lounge areas reading newspapers, that there's notice boards that people have put, you know, local notices up and people will be checking that stuff out, that, you know, people are in there on computers, surfing the internet, checking email, doing job applications, doing homework. Some libraries have little coffee shops attached so you can go and, you know, maybe meet the friend or whatever and have a coffee there as well. You can attend readings and lectures. Like I, as a kid, remember, you know, getting along mum and dad taking me in my pyjamas to go and hear books being read in the evenings after school. Community meetings are happening there. Libraries have got these listening stations that you can go and, you know, listen to music if they've got a CD collection or, you know, subscriptions to music services. You can go and even at some libraries, you know, there are little booths where you can go and set up a telly and watch a video as part of a collection. You touched upon something so really important things. a couple of weeks ago when we first mentioned libraries on Down to Earth as a place for the marginalised that obviously yeah. don't have much of a voice. But you painted a picture of how important it is for people uh, that are homeless or at risk of homelessness having a warm place to sit. And I think you said just to come in and read the newspaper yeah. and not be treated like a homeless yeah. person. Yeah, so that's exactly it. And that's what you know we found in our work and others have found too, that all these different things are going on in libraries, right? And that attracts really diverse crowds of people into their space. So there are kids coming in there, there are tourists coming in there, there are people who are maybe low-income households that don't have you know fancy broadband subscriptions at home home like you name it so many different people and you know oftentimes uh, people that are experiencing housing insecurity and homelessness like this is a warm and friendly and comfortable place and the thing is that you know you might kind of cross into the threshold of a library as an old person or a young person or a homeless person or a migrant or whatever you know you've been maybe attracted into the space for that reason but once we're all in there then there's also this other identity that we suddenly become together, which is we're all library users, right? And there are these kind of little norms and expectations about what that means and how we're all going to do that together that are about just, you know, sort of free and open access that the library is not a space for a particular person, but like anybody can be in the library. Um, and, you know, it's not to say that anything goes, right? We all know that stuff about, you know, the, the library quiet rules. areas mm. and the library rules and stuff. But um, the brilliant thing about that 
is how welcoming those atmospheres tend to be and how even the policing of library rules, like and I'm sure we could probably all think of exceptions to this with some, you know, horrible librarian that we've encountered in our lives. But for the most part, right, library rules aren't enforced by cops or by surveillance or whatever. They're just like we all just kind of do it together, right? We figure out how to make the library work for us all. Um, and it's not like, you know, sometimes this little bit of niggle where like, you know, people who are trying to study and there's another group of teenagers who've just rocked up after school who are meant to be doing homework but actually aren't. Having a chat, yep. But like we all figure it out, right? Um, and so that's really incredibly special as a public space that it's kind of the criteria for being in there isn't about whether you've got the money to pay for anything, you know, like so many other things in our city. Um, it's just about, you know, your willingness to be in a space with strangers and share it and figure out how to do that. And should that's I, precious. Should I read out a couple of texts before we go to a song, Yeah, yeah, Kurt? yeah. What um, people have been saying? Well, I was just asking people what they use their library for. Uh, Miranda from Randwick texted in. She takes her three kids to the local library to borrow books, audio books, borrowing toys. We didn't mention toy libraries oh, yet. Yeah, Most yeah. libraries have a room full, full of toys. Yep, yep. Also Mandarin language books, uh, also attending author talks and the various holiday workshops such as science and coding and storytelling. Mm-hmm. So there's an example of a library giving coding lessons. Yeah. Right. That's really great. Super um, cool. And it's a great place for her kids to get to meet other local kids. So yeah. um, thanks for that text, Miranda. Miranda's a big library fan. Right on. Um, I think we have one more here as well. Libraries provide equal access to information and access based on equality to empower all citizens of all backgrounds. That's Paul from Petersham. That's really Paul. That's it. Yeah. So let's take a listen to uh, a band who... I mean, even their name is a homage to the local library. This is Library Siesta with my Valentine. We'll be straight back with more Down to Earth with Professor Kurt Iverson after this. My Valentine on FBI Radio Mornings. It's a song by a band called Library Siesta, which we thought was apt because we are discussing libraries this morning on Down to Earth with Professor Kurt Iverson. He's back. We... Received a couple of texts in from uh, listeners who use their local library and an important point to bring up that will kind of um, lead into further conversation is the fact that one of our texters, uh, Kurt Miranda from Randwick, said that she really values her local library's collection of Mandarin language books. Yeah. And look, so that's it. So if we get into this librariness that we were talking about and why it's so attractive to like so many diverse users... So one of the things is exactly about how libraries just sort of figured out towards the end of the 20th century and into the 21st that rather than every library having the same stuff, that local libraries are increasingly really getting very good at figuring out what their community needs and what diverse collections might actually work for the people in their area, right? So... um, in that Waterloo. stuff, yeah, I was just going to say. So even in Waterloo, the library that you know that sort of kicked us off wanting to talk about this. Mm. So they've got a Kuri collection in there. They've got Russian um, and Chinese language collections in there as well. And that you know it just sort of reflects the the community around the area here. You know the really important and original was, community in Redfern Waterloo. And that was part of the issue with the idea of moving this library. It's it, it's potentially going to be moved to K up the road. But if you move this some of these collections are K up the road, you're taking it a K away from the community members who are accessing and using that. And they might not be able to get as easily 
to yeah. the library next door. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's kind of like, so, I don't know, we can get into the Waterloo thing as we yep. get to the end of this because it does, anyway, makes me a bit crazy. But, I know, um, but we're, we're but, starting yeah, to talk about how these how these buildings are designed and spaces Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and so that's it. So you've sort of got the, the first thing that they cracked was exactly this thing, like let's have some language collections, let's have some special collections that are going to attract different groups of people into the space. But the second thing is once you've done that, then what do you do? And another thing that libraries have been getting very good at in recent times, and especially some of the sort of newer libraries that have been designed, um, is just figuring out how to kind of enable different uses and activities by kind of laying out the space in a way that, yeah, it means that, you know, actually there are spaces of quiet contemplation. There are spaces that are more sociable and loungy rather than, you know, sit at your desk with your laptopy. Um, there are these group working spaces. That, uh, yeah. I always like having a peek in. If you walk past Surrey Hills Library on Crown Street, you can peek mm-hmm. in from the street. And it's one of those libraries that's got the cafe in there. Yeah. You can see everybody in there doing their own thing, but amongst each other. It's a really nice yeah. open plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. And so this, you don't want to take it sort of too far where you're kind of functionally segregating every single different use into its own little space. So, mm. that, yeah, having those kind of, yeah, you know, sociable, convivial spaces where everybody is just doing their own thing but in each other's presence, but also, you know, yeah, having the sort of, um, I guess, the quieter spaces, et cetera, et cetera, um, is another thing that you can do. Um, and that leads us into like a third thing that is, I just think, again, super precious about libraries, which is about there's a particular kind of safety that so many people in the community actually associate with them, right? Like, um, you know, so uh, compared to the kind of other, many of the other public spaces of, of a city, there's something welcoming and you know, quite protective about a, a library once you're in it. That you know, whether it's like, can you put your finger on what? Yeah, what that is? and again, I is think that it's back to the libraryness. That yeah, we were talking yeah, about? it sort of is right. That there's just again in the research on this, you can sort of see that whether it be for, you know, sometimes for women, sometimes for you know kids who are you know worried about getting you know bullied and harassed after school in streets and stuff like that. There's just something about going into the library that you're just much less likely to experience that kind of craziness. Um, and that kind of threat in there. And again, I think just about those spaces being kind of populated and used and um, just that there's something about the threshold that you cross that um, makes them quite different to the public space of a park or a street. And, you know, not that those spaces aren't wonderful too in their own ways, but, you know, there's just something else going on here. And And all this is free. Yeah. Free to access and use. Yeah, yeah. And that's, as the other person that texted in said, like, that's just fundamental to what's going on here right which is that um compared to you know people go and hang out in malls we talked about malls a while ago and you know malls can be awesome and you know all sorts of other collective spaces in our cities can be awesome but like right at the very very heart of the mission of a library is is free and equal access um and it's kind of remarkable when you think about the way that life has changed in the last hundred years that that principle has just survived intact and firmly entrenched and you know I've when I was doing this work on libraries attended a few kind of you know librarian conferences and you know you have this picture of the librarians being these kind of you know quiet people who are attracted to that profession because you know 
you're going to be sort of quiet and unassuming and into knowledge and blah, blah, blah. Some hardcore militant librarians out there, man, you know, and they are no joke when it comes to this stuff. They will dig in like crazy yep. if any kind of threat to these kind of key principles around sort of freedom and equality is this kind of introduced into policies around libraries. Kurt, I can see how passionate you are about libraries because this is probably the, the close you've come to becoming emotional talking about a, a topic that you've brought to the table. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they just are super duper awesome. And like, I, you know, I think it's just also this thing that, yeah, as I was saying at the start, that um, the more I looked into it, the more I thought, wow, this is incredible. And as romantic as it might seem, and as over-romantic as maybe I'm being here, I do think that when we're thinking about our cities, um, building from the things that are working as well as being critical of the things that are not is just so important to a kind of good urban politics. And so when we look around and see all the craziness in our cities that we often talk about on this segment, like we just also got to see the positives. And yeah, the way that these libraries are here, the reason that they're here in the first place and the way that they've survived. Yeah, that is something that we have to have to sort of cherish and, you know, give shout outs to and, and, you know, keep protecting but building on as well. And so before we wind up, let's recap on what's happening with Waterloo Library because that's what sparked our conversation. Kurt's got a huge love of libraries and you were quite surprised when we found out a couple of weeks ago that Waterloo Library was under threat without any community consultation. Yeah, and that's right. So the funny thing was, and I started sort of Googling around trying to get a bit more information about this as well, heaps of the hits that you'll get if you start searching Save Waterloo Library on the internet are about a campaign that happened in 2015 in London to save a local library in Waterloo there, right? So the same pressure is being experienced, I guess, in different cities around the world now that, you know, maybe this thing that I'm saying we have to cherish, we do have to keep fighting for as well. But things are a little bit different in Sydney compared to what was going on in London. In London, it really was about a council that was running out of cash and just saying we can't even afford to really keep it open. Here in the city of Sydney, um, they're not running out of cash. And actually, they, you know, to give them their props, the city of Sydney, as you mentioned, Surrey Hills, blah, 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 they're actually, they are kind of in the last decade or two investing in their library facilities and do have a great network of suburban libraries across the city. But the the logic here seems to be that we've opened this, you know, whiz-bang new thing in Green Square, you know, a kilometre and a bit down the road from Waterloo. And so, therefore, we're kind of going to close this one up and, you know, move the collection down the road. And, look, I just think right now, when you think about how hectic it is for the people in Waterloo that all this development pressure that they're facing, all this uncertainty about the redevelopment around the train line, about how long it's going to take, about whether they can stay in their community, about whether they're going to be pushed out, about what's going to happen to public housing. Like, it's just unbelievable. And so the idea that right in the middle of that was, oh, by the way, we're shutting your library, it just, it's kind of heartbreaking, right? It's, yeah. So I kind of, it's not to sort of, you know, say that the Green Square thing is not going to be fantastic. Like it's, you know, given given the population that's moving into that area, like hugely important that they have a great facility too. And it's fantastic that the city's done that. But on the surface of it anyway, it makes no sense to me why you would also then say, hey, by the way, people in Waterloo, come down here to this other thing yeah, where you they might don't not... need another kick in the gut. So no, they don't. Lately, and, you know, the, the worry about it is, and this, you know, this really delicate balance that we were talking about, about how everybody, the comfort levels that you'll feel in the library. Like, um, I, you know, in some cases, when you look at these, the really flashy new libraries, you know, they have to work pretty hard to establish themselves as welcoming spaces. And particularly if, you know, you're from Waterloo and you're in, you know, low income situation and, 
you're kind of asked to walk down the road to a fairly high income neighborhood actually with a you know beautiful shiny new library like are you going to feel that same level of welcome and comfort that you feel in the local library that you've been going to for years and like I'm sure the librarians at Green Square are going to be super awesome and welcoming and blah 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 but it's Mm. not just about that right it's just that decision in itself kind of sends a message doesn't it and if you want to sign the petition to save Waterloo Library I think there's a there's they're sort of about halfway to reaching their goal of a thousand signatures and we've put a link up to that petition on the Thursday mornings uh, program page so fbiradio.com slash programs click on mornings um, find your way to my show and you've got all the links to that as well yeah put your name on it Kurt We'll have you back in another couple of weeks' time. We don't know what we're going to talk about, but regardless, I look forward to it. It's yeah, always it's always to do with um, ways that we can make our cities more fairer and sustainable. And if you want to uh, scroll down the bottom of the FBI homepage, you can uh, find a link to the podcast of most of the previous uh, conversations that we've had. Should tide you over for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Kurt. Yeah, thanks, Alex. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.